Welcome to the Inside Edge. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley with you. We're on Long Island, where the Blue Jackets are going to take on the New York Islanders tomorrow. And Jody, we're going to go to a brand new building for the first time, well, since Seattle, <laughs> actually. We're going to do it twice this year. But for the New York Islanders, we were in the Coliseum. Then we went over to Brooklyn for a while. Then we went back to the Coliseum. They finally found a home, and that's what we'll get to see tomorrow night. The UBS Arena. I still don't know how to get there, Bob. So, I'll, I, again, we'll just trust the bus, get on the bus and go there. But, yeah, things are different. It used to be Long Island. You go stay uh, in the parking lot of the arena at the only Marriott around. At the, and you go to the Coliseum. And then it evolved into Brooklyn, which was kind of cool. You know, you go over to Brooklyn, the beautiful arena made for basketball. Uh, but those players live way out in Long Island, which is 45 minutes. So the inconvenience of a game day would be game day skate in Brooklyn and then uh, go in and stay at the hotel there. So now that they have a home closer to home, brand new state of the art. You know, I've seen all the pictures. Every every traveling party goes in and tweets the pictures of the new seats and stuff. And I'm sure you'll be doing that tomorrow when we get there. But, you know, it, it, it's exciting. It's fun. Uh, you know. We, sometimes we take it for granted. We get to go to these new arenas and see the new circumstances. And that's a big deal. Uh, they put a lot of money into this and it's been a long time coming. And, and when you look at the Islanders and where they're at, let's not forget they, they played the first 50 days away from home uh, of the season. And that's a long time. That's, and then they had a couple big injuries and, and they had a pause. So, uh, this is a team that'll be better next year, but yeah, they have a home. They're not, I don't feel like they're settled in yet because of the record, but uh, it'll be exciting to see the Blue Jackets play there for the first time. I wonder what the atmosphere is like. I don't know if you've talked to anybody because I haven't about that, but I mean, you know, with the Coliseum, I remember when we closed it and I remember mm -hmm. when we reopened it. And that night that we reopened it, I knew in the first period we were not the Blue Jackets were not winning that game. It just was not going to happen because there was too much of that fan pressure with them on top of you and as loud as they were. And as soon as they got a lead, it was like, look out. You could, the script was written right at that point. And uh, that's how it turned out. So I, I wonder if it's so, if it's still so intense in this new place. You know what? They've tried to model it after that. They have a low ceiling. Like they talked about a smaller capacity because you can't replicate the Coliseum. That's years of culture and, character and championships and a fan base that you know it's still a fan base but the way the bottom row seats weren't right on the glass you could actually stand in front and there were rows of people standing in front of the first seat uh, in warm-up stacked up uh, right from the start the way the, the locker rooms were you know there used to be cockroaches running up and down the walls and stuff like that being your shoulder pads before you go out on the ice for for a game and they always had tough teams and a raucous crowd, but it'll be a little more updated, obviously, but it'll be, it'll still be intimate. I think, I think that's what they were going for UBS, but we'll see tomorrow night. Yeah. Cause a lot of blue collar fans are going to be in that building. No question about that. Speaking of that, we've got a blue collar guy that's going to be with us in just a couple of minutes. Justin Danforth, blue jackets forward, just signed a two year contract extension yesterday. We'll have him on to talk about that and his incredible journey in getting to the national hockey league. But uh, Jody, right now let's talk about the blue jackets and how they're playing going into this game against the Islanders tomorrow night. You know, the homestand was uh, a little so-so. Uh, you lose to Pittsburgh. You lose late to Pittsburgh. You come back. You beat New Jersey. 
you have the L.A. Kings really on the ropes in the third period. They come back, tie the game, win it in overtime. You get Boston, who you have to come back and tie with uh, under two seconds left in the third period before you lose in the shootout. And then you battle back against the Maple Leafs here on Monday night. You're down 3 nothing. You come all the way back, and then they get two more, and you wind up losing 5-4. to four. So, again, kind of a, a seesaw of emotions throughout that entire homestand. Yeah, but – I don't know if I, I cannot look at results totally, Bob. I know that at the end of the day, you look at the results of the game, but when you look at these stretches and this might be the toughest stretch that, that last weekend, ending with that Toronto game, you know, three and fours, I know no one's going to talk about it. Brad Larson's not going to make excuses. He's just going to say everyone has to deal with it. An emotional weekend for the Columbus blue jackets. And I would rather be a part of a team and watch a team and follow a team that knows exactly what they are and how to get results at this time of year, then be a part of a team that is helter skelter. One night it's on one night. It's off. This is the same work ethic. It seems like, except for the first period against the Leafs game, I think, uh, you know, they found themselves, they battled back. Uh, what a game that ended up being for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets as Toronto squeaked that out. You watched the end of that game the other night at home, and that's after having the L.A. Kings in town on a Friday night, then the return of Nick Foligno and the Rick Nash ceremony and the largest crowd ever, uh, a feel-good moment in our franchise that everyone felt great about leaving the building. Uh, the Boston Bruins, you know, you get a point there. And then you got Toronto the next day that's coming back and are sour at the uh, the overtime loss last game where Line A, last time they were in town, where Line A slips that puck to Austin Matthews' legs and, and beats their goaltender. So, you know what? I, I, I look at that game and I see a team. I was tired and I didn't even work Monday night, Bob. But, I mean, it was like there was a lot going on. And, and you think of the athletes and we think of, the guys and how the Blue Jackets are asked to play, it's demanding. So, you know, a day off uh, yesterday, a practice day today, and a travel day today uh, to get here to Long Island, it's it's a, it's a valuable and it's a, a day that you just have to get your fluids, eat, go to bed, and get ready for practice and travel, and, and then get in. Here we are tonight, uh, and these players are, are dialed down again. So, you look at the rest of the way, it's three games and four nights pretty much the entire way, but I don't know if there's an emotional stretch like this weekend that just went by. So I don't give them a pass, but my to summarize what I just answered you with, the way they're playing, the way that they approach the game, the way that they understand exactly how they have to play and what they are, uh, to me, that's what coaches strive for. Uh, to get to that brand, and, and and they're there due to their leadership and the way they've all bought in. Absolutely. You're dead on right about that, and this is something we talked about the entire first 40-plus games is who are they? Have they figured out who they are? Some days it looked like they did. Sometimes it looked like they didn't. But now, as you said, the consistency seems like it's there. Yeah, and you talk about our guest and, and Danforth coming up, and, you know, you look at what he brings, and, and when I watch him, there's an element of being true to who he is, and we'll talk to him about that, and, and that's an important feature on this team. You know, that, that's an important – you look at Peek and Gavrikov, and, and even Kukin, the way he's, got, he's jumped in there now, it, it's a very understandable as an athlete position to be able to, to say, okay, I know what I have to do in every circumstance, in every aspect of this game. I know what my teammates expect of me, and it becomes a well-oiled machine. And, and I think we've grown accustomed 
the last six seasons, well, five and a half for sure, to, to look at this team and sit in your chair and know what you're going to get each and every night. And now we're back to an 82-game season, and they call these days the dog days. Well, guess what? This team is in a fight, and they have uh, a, a great will to win. But I think with, if you're the coach and you step out after the game, especially the Boston game, and you look at everything that went on, and you look at how they battled, and you look how well Boston is playing, you say, we did everything we could. You got, you, you know, there's there's bounces or situations that happen and don't happen. And that night it went that way. And that's how you, if you keep playing that way, the results will come. And, and I know as an athlete, you know, you feel good about your teammates when you all put it all in. And even in the losses, uh, you come away feeling really good about yourself. And another thing they're getting is confidence in, look, you don't want to be chasing the game all the time. You don't want to be behind all the time. But if there's a team that can be behind and you just know that they feel like it's not a big deal, we'll come back and we'll make up for it. It's this team right now. It's confidence. I mean, it, it really is. And it's it has to do with, and you hear the players about four or five weeks ago talk about it's nice to get the results. Because, you know, you can whip and, and, and explain and show video and, and create expectations and they can do it, but you can do it without getting results. It goes, it goes away really quickly. But when you do have those results, the Florida Panthers game, you go back to some of these big moments, the Toronto Maple Leafs game a couple of weeks ago, that builds exactly what you're looking for. And when you look at these players and how they play and how Jake Voracek is nothing but, uh, I mean, he is a commander out there when it comes to, anything to do with any part of the ice outside of the D zone. And I mean that with with total respect, the way he sees the game and processes how things can develop and the way Patrick Laine is accepted, uh, you know, loving playing with Jake Voracek because of the way he does it and Domi and these guys that are all chipping in. It's so impressive to see a confident group. So the Blue Jackets have that confidence as they head into the game tomorrow night against the New York Islanders. Haven't seen the Islanders in a long, long time. But uh, they're going to get to see them frequently between now and the end of the season. Well, as we've told you, Justin Danforth just signed a new two-year contract extension, a guy that came into this year kind of taking a chance on the Blue Jackets, and they took a chance on him, and it's paid off for both sides. Justin will sit down and talk to us about that right after this as the Inside Edge continues on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge. Blue Jackets traveling to New York today and taking on the New York Islanders tomorrow night. I'm Bob McElligot alongside of Jody Shelley. And joining us right now is Blue Jackets forward Justin Danforth. I want you to know for the record, we requested you two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then yesterday, it's announced that you signed a two-year contract extension. So I want you to know you're with two pretty smart guys here. We had that's, the right guy. That's good timing for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely good timing. But, uh, hey, first of all, congratulations, uh, just in, in, in getting that, I mean, I know you've worked hard this year, your entire year. 28 years old, you come over to be a rookie in the National Hockey League. Your camp was uh, so-so, not what you wanted it to be. You went to Cleveland, you came back, you never let them send you back to Cleveland after that. Uh, just uh, can you can you look at September to now and just tell me, you know, what you're feeling from trying to break in on this team and now having a two-year contract deal? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely – I feel like any anywhere I go in my career, it's it's been – um, you know, a different route and a different path to get there. Um, it's never been, it's never just came easy to me. You know, I, I never planned on showing up here and playing first line minutes and um, just, you know, having an easy season. And I think it's, um, I think it, it taught me a lot to get sent down right, right away. I mean, it just kind of built that chip in my shoulder, you know, it pissed me off, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't happy about it, but, you know, went down there, 
um, you know, started working on wing, you know, started, you know, working on the little details of the game and, and just getting, getting better, improving and, you know, trying to have a positive mindset and being ready to get called back up. And, you know, when, once you get called up, you, you really don't have uh, too much time to, to make an impact. You know, you only have a couple of games to kind of show what kind of player you are. So, um, you know, just played hard and um, luckily it just kind of kept building and building and, and gaining trust. And, you know, I'm, I'm ex- so pumped to be back for two more years. Yeah, as you said, nothing has come easy for you. I mean, you've worked your entire way coming out of college, ECHL, AHL. You go over to Europe, play in a couple of leagues over there before getting this opportunity to come to the Blue Jackets. So uh, hard work is part of what you are, though, man. Yeah, it's definitely a staple of my, uh, not just hockey, just, I mean, in in life in in general, I think, with even going to college, you know, hard work was a big part of that. I wasn't the, the smartest guy going to college, but, you know, was able to get good grades and, you know, uh, get a degree, so it's good. Yeah, I want to talk about that Sacred Heart University. You're the first player to come out of that program to play in the National Hockey League. How did you get there, and, and what was that decision all about? Uh, for me, um, you know, getting to Sacred Heart was um, a lot of it had to do with the coaches. I, um, Scott McDougal, he's the assistant coach there still. Um, he, he, you could tell that they're really interested and they really had a plan for me. Um, you know, I could see them developing me, and I mean. I wasn't sure where I'd play hockey after college either. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going right to the NHL. I'm not one of these high draft pick guys. So, you know, I chose Sigurd Hart because it's a good business program and, um, you know, I could uh, play hockey at a D1 school and and also get a good education. So, um, you know, being able to spend four years there and mature as a person and, you know, these coaches and my teammates really helped me along the way with, you know, growing me. I was was pretty immature going into college at, you know, 19, 20. So I didn't really wasn't extremely coachable um you know I still had to work on some details but no I always had that work ethic which which helped but you know I definitely learned a lot through the four years there and um you know matured quite a bit now I mean growing up in Ontario the CHL the Ontario Hockey League is probably what most players want to play but did you go play in the OJHL to try to get a university a, a U.S. college scholarship yeah that was the game plan my my parents are big on that when I was in high school, I remember them just because uh, you have to take certain courses in high school to be able to get into those U.S. colleges, too. So I always had to take the academic courses in, in high school. And like I said, I wasn't really a great student. I didn't really know how to learn or, you know, how to properly study. So that was a grind just getting through those classes through through high school. And then my parents kind of instilled it in me that, like, you know, maybe you won't be a great professional, but you can definitely get your education paid for. And, and that's, you know, coming from a family that's kind of had to you know, a very blue collar family. Um, you know, one of the first guys to go to college in my family was, was big for me as well. So, um, it, it definitely, um, it definitely was special for sure. So you had options, you had other options. Cause that's not a big hockey program, right? Sacred heart, obviously. Yeah. Like I had a couple other options. My, my academics were, were pretty bad in high school. So <laughs> it was, it was kind of narrowed down. I was talking to Bemidji State. I remember that uh, Providence. I mean, I talked to all the schools. It was just a matter of fact of, um, you know, of somebody taking a chance. Honestly, it was. You know, I talked to a lot of coaches and you know management with these schools, and you know, I'd go on visits, and it was just more of like, you know, who's going to be the be the the coaches and um, to to take a chance. And I, for sake of heart, it was you know Scott McDougal and, and C.J. Maritola that you know stepped up and said. Listen, we'll, we'll we'll have you for four years. We'll we'll give you a you know some a good scholarship, and we'd be thrilled to have you. So it felt like a good fit. All right, from there you go to the East Coast Hockey League, and 
you end up in the American Hockey League in 2017-18 in Rochester, and it doesn't look like a great season for you. After that, you head to Europe. And, and were you going to Europe thinking, okay, I just want to try to make a living at playing hockey? And, and Because I would see that as that opportunity when you went to Finland. Yeah, that's, you're exactly right. I think when, when I signed that first pro contract at a college, you know, I signed with, with Rochester on a you know, one-way contract. Uh, in my head, I was, okay, I'll be an AHLer next year, and, you know, I can start learning my way. And boy, was I wrong. I, you know, was at Buffalo camp, got sent down, um, Rochester camp. You know, I remember getting sent sent down after playing the Marlies. And I was just like, oh, shit, like, this is this is no joke. Like, And a lot changed when I signed that contract. You know, they, they brought in new coaches, you know, new management. So it was a, a big, um, there was some big changes going on with that 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 uh, organization but it was a tricky year because you know you expect to play in the AHL and start working your way up and then just to get sent down and then I mean even um you know I only played 15 games with Rochester was so I was mostly a coast guy and when I get called up I would you know play those four or five minutes um six seven minutes a night so by the end of the year I was just like um you know I could go make some good money in Europe and I know Finland's a good league and I my end goal actually was with going to Europe was to play in Russia. So I didn't know how long it would take me to get there or Switzerland, Russia or Switzerland. But um, after a couple of years in Finland, my my game kept growing. And I, I mean, I played with a lot of smart guys too, which I thought, I thought helped my game. You know, I played with Brandon DeFazio, who was a veteran guy who really kind of showed me the ropes of how to be a good pro and also just how to, you know, adjust my game to a pro game because it, it's a lot different than junior in, in college hockey, so... That's kind of why I went over. Yeah, but it's amazing to me because now you're going to be 29 ne- this month, next week, and it, you know you just signed your first multi-year deal in the National Hockey League. I don't. How did you do it? I mean, it, it, you must look back and be amazed at how you did. It. I, I was talking to one of my my good buddies yesterday, and I was just like, I mean, it's it's honestly it's crazy to me too. Like I I sit back here and you know I'm playing with Domi, and you know I get to see how Voracek works and it's pretty special. I, I told my buddy, I'm like, you know, can you believe this shit? Like, this is like, <laughs> wow. Like going from like Cincinnati where, I mean, we're taking 25 hour bus trips, you know, down to Florida and, you know, playing a three and three. And it's, it's insane how you know, I, I've got to experience every part of hockey, you know, from the real grinds of, you know, playing in the coast with, you know, going to Russia and, and experiencing that culture and, you know, Thank God to be able to come back to North America and get to experience the best league in the world. And it's every day is a, a phenomenal day. So did you have options coming into this season, this season with contracts out of, out of Russia last year? Um, there was definitely teams interested. Um, but it, I feel like we, it was kind of the same feeling I had with Sacred Heart with, um, you know, the coaches and, and the management. Like I had a really good conversation with Yarmo and, and, you know, Basil and, that was kind of, I could see what they saw in my game, and that's important to me. Like I, I play one way, and they, even though like you, you watch my games and you say, okay, he competes so much. That's just because he's playing a role, and but that's always been how I played hockey. That's never been like I've never been a soft player or a perimeter player. I've always played inside the game, and um, I'm kind of getting a bit lost on a tangent here, but um, no, it's great. Yeah, so. What was your original question there? Sorry, <laughs> just jumped. I just just other options like you yeah. know you, you were in Russia and you end up in Columbus, but uh, you know 
there must have been or, or were there other options for you in the National Hockey League? And I think you answered it. Yeah, yeah. So there, there was definitely, but I just felt like it was a comfortable fit with me in, in Columbus. And I felt like I had, you know, they saw what kind of, what kind of guy I was, which is, which is big for me. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Jody and I talk about this all the time, that experience of, you know, going through the minors. Uh, East Coast Hockey League, American Hockey League, you went on top of that, you go to Europe and you play. And I mean, just think of everything that you've experienced in life. At 28 going on 29, yeah, you just signed your first multi-year deal, but what a wealth of experience, life experience that you've picked up along the way just from playing this game. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, it's, it's super important. You know, you, you learn so much along the way, even if it's outside of hockey, you know, I got to experience different cultures in different countries and, and you know, meet, meet some longtime friends that I'll, you know, have friends the rest of my life with, you know, guys in Finland and in Russia. And so it's been a, it's definitely been a unique journey and, and I wouldn't change it for anything. I think that going to all these different spots and having to battle in different leagues, it's, you know, it's really grew, uh, grown me as a person. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot from, from my experiences. We're here with Justin Danforth, the man with the brand new two-year contract extension. We'll continue talking with him as the Inside Edge continues on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge. Bob McElligan and Jody Shelley with you. The Blue Jackets are back at home Friday night. They'll take on the Minnesota Wild at 7 o'clock at Nationwide Arena. And then on Sunday night at 7, they'll take on the Vegas Golden Knights. For tickets, go to bluejackets.com. We're joined by Justin Danforth tonight of the Blue Jackets. He just signed a two-year contract yesterday, so he's going to continue to stay with the organization. Let me ask you about what happened when you got hurt this year because we talked about it. You were in Cleveland. You come back up. You're finally getting a chance to play and all of a sudden you suffer an injury. And now you're looking at four to six weeks or more. Um, what was that like for you mentally when you're just starting to grasp it, now all of a sudden you have to shut it down? Yeah, that was that was a grind. I think, you know, it's part of the game. Um, you know, things happen where you know, it's out of your control. And I, that was kind of the mindset I tried to keep through the seven weeks I was out. Um, you know, you can't control what happens. It's um, how you kind of react to it. But it was – Mentally, it was a grind. Honestly, it was, um, you know, it wasn't fun. I miss, you know, miss being around the guys and, you know, miss, you know, playing games and especially where I, where my game was when I, when I got hurt, I felt like I was finally getting comfortable with this league and, you know, um, you know, the nerves weren't crazy. So it was, I was actually feeling really good on the ice and then to get hurt like that was, you know, a setback, but then, I mean, nobody cares, honestly, like it's, you get hurt. I mean, guys care, but you got to deal with it yourself. You know, in the end of the day, you have to put the work in and, and be able to get back at 100%. And then you got guys like Kenny and, and Bowler who are constantly working with you. And I mean, everyone's doing their best part. You know, the training staff with Boder and Stricker, like these guys are doing everything they can to make sure you're back 100%. So, you know, it's kudos to those guys. And, um, you know, th those guys help, help a bunch. So, well, I give you credit because when you came back, you were playing exactly like you were when you left. Maybe, no, not maybe, better better than you yeah. were when you left quite frankly and was, was that a, a conscious effort to look I got to get right back to the front of everybody's mind once again I got to come back in and be me yeah I mean every time I go on the ice it's I'm going to play the same way I'm going to I'm going to compete my ass off so it just maybe I was a bit more comfortable or maybe I don't know what really happened there but um I, I really don't know but it's never easy coming off an injury, so I knew it was super important to me to get off to a good start. And I think Gonser actually helped it, helped a bunch too. Actually playing with him, and he's such a big body, and he plays he plays the game the right way. So it's it's easy to bounce off guys like that because I know exactly what he's going to bring to the table every night. You know, I know what kind of player he is. Um, so I think I kind of relied on him a, a little bit in the first couple of games to kind of, you know, 
get energy from him or, you know, just talk to him, let him calm me down a little bit or whatever it was. But he helped a lot, actually. Yeah, and Brendan Gauntz is a guy that you have a good relationship, not just on the ice, but off the ice, too. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close off the ice, so, you know, stuff like that helps where you can talk to a guy and he can help you out. He's he's a veteran guy. He's played in the league for, you know, he's played over 100 games in the league, which to me that's veteran for sure. So you can you can, you can bounce some ideas off that guy and, and see what uh, what he does to manage, you know, stress or, you know, whatever's, whatever's going on. Justin, I want to go back to you signing a two-year deal. Uh, I remember when I signed my first multi-year deal what kind of emotions were I mean, and what was that process like for you that was pretty exciting i mean just trying to reach out to everybody who's close to me who's, who's helped me along the way i mean definitely the first call was was my dad and you know he sent me a pretty nice message with you know um i can't remember the exact words but he was just like you know i know i pushed you hard as a kid but um he, he pretty much said i knew it was going to break you or you know make you you know, a super hard competitor. And he's like, I guess it made you a hard competitor. So I'm like, you know, looking back all those hard times, you know, they're, they paid off and um very thankful for the people that are, you know, that are, that are around me and support me nonstop, you know, family members and, you know, just people reaching out all the time, making sure you're okay. And, and, you know, showing their support. So it was pretty, it was a, yesterday was a pretty cool day. And, you know, a lot of people reached out to me and it was pretty special. I remember growing up with my dad and, and you know, there was a lot of that. Now I have a 13 year old son yeah. Um, what, what do you mean he pushed you hard? What, what, what stands out? I mean, just everything. I mean, when it came to sports, um, you know, you, you, I was going to work, you know, it was, and it was by choice. You know, I, I wanted to be a hockey player. I wanted to be a lacrosse player. So, you know, I'd play in the winter, I'd play hockey. And then in the summer I'd go play lacrosse. And it was the same mindset my dad had on me with, you know, you know, holding me accountable, I guess, at a young age, I guess you could say. And, it was never, you know, it wasn't easy all the time. And, but, you know, looking back, I could see what he was doing. You know, he was, he was just trying to push me and, and see what he could get out of me, honestly, and, and build a, you know, build somebody with a good character. And, um, you know, it's a lot, very thankful for what they did for me growing up. His money was never, we didn't have a bunch of money growing up. So they were, they would do anything to, to make sure I could play hockey. And, um, you know, maybe you take it for granted at the time, but when you get a bit older, you're, um, and when you start thinking of having kids yourself, you, you can kind of put it in perspective with how much they sacrificed in their life. Um, you know, it's pretty, pretty special to me for sure. It's a fantastic journey that you're a part of. And uh, yeah, you should reflect and be extremely proud, but at the same time, you know, you coming back from that injury, it seemed like you had to reprove yourself again. That's just me not reprove yourself, but you know, you don't want to let it go. So that feeling that, that, that of pushing yourself, uh, that's always there with you, right? I mean, you don't get, you can't get comfortable. No, you can't, you can't take a breath in this league. I mean, every night's, um, I mean, every night you're playing against the best players in the world. So it's, you can't just sit back and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'll just kind of see what happens tonight. You know, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work well. My skill won't take over. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a work-based player that um, has skill that, um, but without the work, you know, I, I don't play in this league. So the work always comes first for me. Is there anyone you looked up to or, or modeled your, your path towards or, or were amazed at that thought that, that gave you that um, that confidence to keep going? I mean, guys like Marty St. Louis, obviously it's in, I was watching him a bunch growing up and um, just his work, just not even what he, not even like the goals and points he scored, but just if you watch him play the game, he plays with such a, you know, he played, he was such a competitor in the league, you know, and he, he had played with the chip on his shoulder and he had to work through adversity. So guys like that, I mean, Wendell Clark, I was a guy I watched yeah. growing up a bunch and just how, 
I mean, just the toughness of the game. It's not easy to play like that every night, and these guys did it night in, night out. And so that was kind of my motivation growing up was watching these guys, you know, produce offense, but also, you know, stick up for teammates and, and be a hard guy to play against and, you know, kind of play with the playoff style nonstop, I guess. You know, you uh, you talk about that hard work that, that we see every night, but also what we're seeing here now is you've been a scorer. I mean, where you've played, you put the puck in the back of the net. You come here, you're playing fourth line, your minutes are limited, and you're, you're trying to play that role. But now that you're getting more ice time, we're starting to see that that offense shine a little bit more with you. Not always with a goal, but with some great chances. I it was I forget what game it was a couple of days ago. I think you had, if you had three shots on goal, you had the three best shots on goal at that point in the game. I mean, so are you starting to feel a little bit more confident when it comes to to that part of the game now because of the work you're putting in? Yeah, I think it. I think so. I definitely feel more comfortable making certain plays on the ice. I mean, I'm still, I think offensively in this league, I still have um, some room to improve. Uh, I'm still watching guys. I'm just watching my teammates, how they create offense. If you watch Voracek, he constantly takes the middle of the ice and slows the game down. Those are different ways to create offense in the league. So I've kind of just been taking pieces of, you know, what I like and what I can add into my game with my skill set and, you know, try and get better at them and, and hopefully, you know, eventually become a, you know, a dominant offensive player. What do you see when you look at Sean Corrali? Because when I've seen Sean this year, I've said this all the time, whenever somebody needs to get going, put him on Corrali's line and it's going to happen for him. And, and you've been playing with him, not because you need to get going, because you're getting more ice time and that's where you've settled in. And you look really comfortable there. You look at home there. Um, what makes it easy to play with him? I think playing with a guy like Corrali, the easiest guy to play with in hockey is the guy that you know what to expect every night. That's because I know he's a very consistent player. He's a good pro. I know exactly how he's going to play every night. So, you know, I can't have an off night because I know he's going to show up. You know, so we kind of hold each other accountable. And I mean, he's a he's a he's a big leader on this team, and and I think it just. He leads by example. You know, he, he's, he finishes his checks. You know, he plays the game the right way, plays hard. He knows his role. There's no ego involved. So I, I love playing with a guy like that because I, I know what to expect, and he's willing to work just as hard as I'm willing to work. So, And how much of those offensive chances come from also playing with Max Domi because he's such a good passer, and he can find guys in the right spot on the ice? Yeah, Domi, I mean, he's honestly one of the best passers I've I've played with, honestly. Like, he, he threads needles out there all the time, and, kind of shake your heads with with some plays he makes um and I've, I've got to watch him over you know the, this this part of the season where I can kind of learn how he how he plays the game and how he creates offense I've watched you know I've watched some clips of him like how he scores goals so I know you know where he likes to score goals from um he's a he's a different kind of player to play with so he's it's you have to kind of um, you know, be patient, and um, you're trying to get him, get him the puck in the ozone, and let him start skating with the puck and get some space for him. That's when he's at his best. When he gets some space, I mean, he's gonna find guys back door. And I mean, you've been seeing it all year. He he has that touch around the net too, so it's I enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you, for a guy that said you weren't a very good student coming out of high school, sure sounds like you study a lot. Yeah, I've definitely learned how to uh, learn, so it's <laughs> it's definitely good. I think it helps with everything, you know, being able to, like, just teach yourself different things and, you know, be a student of the game as much as you can definitely helps. Justin, I want to ask you about, you know, you guys get up here and things change. There's a level of appreciation that you bring, obviously, because you played in, I think, every league in the world or just about. 
how unique is that room with you have an 18 year old rookie you have yourself who's now you know just getting there but went the went the long way do you do you really feel something special in that that locker room with these guys i i do 100 percent, and that that's why it, you know this is exactly where i wanted to play i think you know being a part of this group for the last four or five months i can see it of of what kind of characters we have in the room and what our leadership core is really solid uh, then we have the veteran guys like Voracek who, you know, step in when they need to step in. And then you got the guys who are helping out, you know, Chinny and, and Silly and, and guys like that, growing them as players because, you know, they're going to be a very big part of this team um, when it comes to, you know, making playoff pushes and stuff like that. So I think we have something special in this room. I think guys, you know, guys play for each other, which is it's not always the case in, in, in locker rooms. So I think that guys, you know, you got Peeker and Gav just eating pucks and, you know, Girls finishing ch- like these. These guys are just absolutely like Peeker. I, I watch him on the PK and he just soaks pucks. You know, Ovechkin doesn't matter. He's willing to step up. And from my, from what I see, it's you know I appreciate that kind of stuff. And and he's he's not doing it to pump his own tires. He's he's doing it to help win win hockey games. And um, I think when you have a bunch of when everybody's doing when everybody's on the same page, it, it makes a dangerous club. What about you in the locker room? Are you a vocal guy? I'm not not overly vocal in the locker room. I I try and be a guy who just goes out and leads by example. Um, I'm I'd say I'm more vocal on the bench with you know, making sure guys you know know if they do something good or you know, really anything that needs to be said. I can I can kind of pipe up and, and say it. But I kind of just try and lead by example and, and play hard. I want to go back to that. I know you're from Toronto and you grew up as a Maple Leafs fan. Uh, they just left town, but how about the last time you played them? The building here at Nationwide Arena. Have you, I mean, that was a magical night. Yeah, I think it's pretty. These fans are in, insane here. To be honest, with you. it's it's <laughs> we have some of the best fans in the world, honestly. And I've played, I've played everywhere. So I mean, these fans have so much passion, and I think with with uh, the fifth line, it's it's um it's a different. You know, they're a blue collar fan base where they just love the game. You know, and they love to win, and you know they they love to see our success. And I think that's what makes a good fan base. And you know, even the other night with the um, Nash ceremony there, like, that's a full house. You know, you can't hear yourself think. Like, the emotion in that building is electric. Like, that's one of the, you know, the most fans I've ever played in front of um, my my entire career. So, nights like that, it's, you know, they're the ones that get us, get us into the game sometimes when we're, when we're off to a slow start and, you know, you start hearing them roar and or somebody gets a scrap, like Domi gets a fight the other night. You know, they're all pumped up or Bayer gets a scrap and, it's it's nights like those that um, make it so much fun. Yeah, they're they're the National Hockey League is great for many reasons. You know that, but your home fans and especially here, it's. Uh, I mean, you always have to pinch yourself at times because the, the energy you get as a player, it it's magical. It is, yeah, it really is. It helps so much. To be honest with you. Well, Justin, uh, thanks for giving us your time today. We really appreciate that. And, and honestly, from the first time I talked to you during training camp, you know the the character part of who you are really stands out. Uh, great guy, great person, and I was so happy yesterday when I saw that you signed the two-year deal. Not just because we had you lined up and we looked like geniuses, honestly, I yeah. swear. Sure, Bob. No, sure, Bob. Yeah, well, that's a, little, that's a little part of it, Jody. You know that with me. But, no, but honestly, um, it's great. It's so fun to watch you play. I just love to watch you play, and it's, uh, you know, the days of old-time hockey are kind of going away, but you're a throwback player when it comes to that. It's yeah, uh, definitely. all effort all the time, and it's so fun to watch. So, hey, we're glad that you're going to be here for another couple of years. Best of luck to you here as we get ready to take on New York tomorrow night, the Islanders tomorrow night, and uh, thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me on. 
All right, that is Justin Danforth of the Blue Jackets. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the Inside Edge here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Inside Edge. I'd like to thank Justin Danforth for joining us on the show. Jody, humble, true to himself. All, all of that comes through every time you talk to Justin Danforth, doesn't it? You know what? It, it, he's an understated guy, and I think he plays that way. And I think uh, if you watch the Blue Jackets, you're pleasantly surprised because, you know, you sit back and, and you notice players that get in on the forecheck or get a good opportunity or create something uh, out of speed through the neutral zone. And that's what he does. He's a, what a great interview, what a wonderful story. And I just love his level of appreciation. And when a guy like that gets rewarded for the two-year contract after all the hard work, uh, congratulations to him and, and what a great guest. Good to have him, Bob. Well, he mentioned that ceremony with Rick Nash on Saturday night prior to the game against the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, first of all, <laughs> I said this on a podcast the other day. We knew this was coming up for months, right? And and we'd talk about it, and there are things that you had to address, and, hey, here's how we're going to cover this, and here's what we're going to do for this, and we need you to do this interview here. And so that that's our lives for the last couple of months, just setting up for all of this. I don't know how you felt, but once it actually began, like when I – actually, when I got here on Saturday night – and I went up to my booth and I looked out and the ice was covered and the stage was set with the number 61 there and the chairs were all lined up. It just kind of changed for me because now all of this theory was becoming reality. And just throughout the course of the entire ceremony, I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I thought it was great uh, for Doug McClain to come back here and kind of complete the circle with the fan base in Columbus, Ken Hitchcock to come back. Uh, after being the first coach to take this team to the Stanley Cup playoffs, the speeches that everybody made, um, just the entire pomp and circumstance of it and how Rick Nash included the fans themselves as being such an important part of what happened here. Uh, I thought it was really touching, and I hope, and I think I'm right on this, but I hope that the uh, players, as they watched it, saw something even more different than they already knew about Columbus and the appreciation for the game and for the team and, and – um, I, I hope it makes him fall in love with what goes on here more because it was really how special it all is on display. You know what? I agree with you. You don't know what you're a part of until you see what's happening and, and you don't know what direction it's going or what it means. And I think um, we all left the building uh, in a different area. It elevated our organization again. And when Rick got picked first overall, it elevated the organization. Uh, but this was monumental in, in and this was a step. This was a reflection on history. This is an acknowledgement of history and a player and a number that goes up. But what it signifies and, and how we felt about the organization and what you saw from the speeches, it's always good to look, look back and reflect of what you were, what you were part of, and what you're moving forward, what it means. And um, I felt the exact same way. As that, as that uh, ceremony went on, uh, kind of the emotion and the reflection and the building of this, of the, of where we are today with the blue jackets, it kind of uh, bubbled below the surface. And then for me, it was like, okay, when, when it was done, I walked out of the building and felt like this organization has taken the next step. And uh, you know, the alumni being mentioned and, and what it means to our community and, you know, the players that have been here and worn the jersey coming into the season, Bob, there was only 300 players in the world that have put on the jersey for at least one game. It was 299 was the number. And I think we're represented by 15 countries. 
uh, that have played and and in for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and to have 61 go up, I think we all felt the same way as fans and as alumni. That you know that is the only number that makes sense to be the first one. That's that's the guy that was here. And when you look at the scoring titles and the Rocket Richard Trophy uh, and the number of All-Star games he's represented this organization at, the whole league took notice. And that, I think, was even the bigger part. And so great job by the Blue Jackets in organizing this. I thought they did a wonderful job of, uh, of, of displaying what we are. And um, I just love that, you know, that that step has been taken and it takes time to get there. So uh, we're really proud to be Blue Jackets and part of the organization. Our fans are so proud of, of everything that's taken taken place here. And I thought that was a great summary uh, and step. And now moving forward to say, OK, now you guys know what you're a part of. Let's see what's next. Yeah, I think that's the important part. Now, you know what you're a part of for all of those players that sat and watched it. They do know. It kind of puts it all on display. That's uh, very well said by you. And I think with, as you said, the whole league took notice. To me, I look back at the draft in 2007. I look at the All-Star game that was hosted here, and I put that ceremony right there with it. When it comes to getting on the big stage and getting the worldwide attention, the people on our staff here, they really do it right. Well, I'll tell you, they understood you only get one chance to have the first number retired and they made sure that they embraced it uh how about wayne gretzky showing you know on the on the board uh congratulating rick that to me is uh you know th- those guys like that it, it's it's nice to see former teammates and everyone everyone was was important but the old wayne gretzky stamp is a nice one i still don't know what Sidney crosby said though because i couldn't hear it over the booze but uh that it was, was awesome it was yeah it was it was <laughs> all of it was awesome for him to be on there was awesome of course you know they want to go yeah. med- medal together Ovechkin. Yeah, yeah yeah it was that was great the whole thing was great so uh, as you said, now in the past, and everybody knows what they're a part of, and now it's time to go back to work. You look at what the Blue Jackets have uh, this game tomorrow night against the Islanders, a division game for them here, and then you come right back home, back-to-back with the Minnesota Wild in town on Friday night, and the Vegas Golden Knights will be here on Sunday night. So it's another important weekend for the Blue Jackets to continue to play, as you were saying earlier, with that same type of game that they're putting together night in and night out. But when you look at teams like the Minnesota Wild and the Vegas Golden Knights, they're coming to play because they both have something to play for. Right now, they're both in the top three in their division, which is the guaranteed playoff spot, but they both have teams nipping at their heels that are looking to get in and knock them out. So it's going to be a tough weekend. Yeah, you know, it's... It's interesting for the Blue Jackets because, you know, Minnesota has only won three of their last 12, I think. And, and, you know, they're coming off a win the other night, but it's an organization that plays that big, heavy Western style. Vegas is a team that needs to get going. They've got Jack Eichel. I know Stone is out long term, but there's some pieces and things they're dealing with. But still, we talked about identity in the first segment and this Blue Jackets team, you know, understands what they are. These are two teams. I thought Minnesota understood what they were. They were a team that had a dominant February, early February. And when you look at them uh, now, they're kind of sputtering, which is to be expected a little bit in some of these, uh, you know, after you have some success, uh, you know, things change a little bit and you lose a couple and then it snowballs. Where's your confidence? But for the Vegas Golden Knights, they have not had a real strong, consistent uh, part of the season yet. So, and it's been waiting for pieces to show up, Wayne, you know, players trying to figure out where they are. And, you know, goaltending is now a little bit of an issue. So 
to me, they look like a team that could be getting it together in April, maybe end of March and April, which is good timing for them. Uh, but with the trade deadline less than two weeks away, it puts their GM in a pickle because you want to know what your team is right now. So you can add the right pieces or say, wait, we're not what we think we are. So kind of um, is it deceiving for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild? Uh, maybe. Uh, but, you know, Billy Guerin with Minnesota, uh, he's in a little bit of a, a pickle right now as to, as to seeing what what are we and do I actually have to need and, and do I give up some of the future to, to make a push this year or are we still a year away? Yeah. <laughs> and every general manager at some point in time, they hope to be in that position, right? Some of them yeah, never right. get there, but they all hope to be in that position. But that, that's a really good point because, yeah, if you're, we always say you want to be playing your best hockey going into the playoffs, but from the GM's perspective to evaluate things, you'd really like to see them play their best hockey right before the trade deadline to figure out if you need to tweak or not. Well, I look at the Rangers and Shesterkin is, he got, he was so good early in the year and you know, it allowed his team to get wins and find their way a little bit. Now they're playing better, but without him, they don't win. I mean, he's, so are they just a goalie with some good players? And, and, you know, sometimes that's the recipe for a Stanley cup championship, but those are the organizations now we're taking a step back saying, and I look at the Calgary flames to me, they've, they've been a team that knows what they're all year. You know, they, they've really turned it around. And when you looked at them coming into the season, you probably thought, ah, they're not very good, but a team that understands their brand, um, is excelling so it's an it's a fascinating time of the year to, to be outside of it very stressful inside i'd say because night to night you're watching closely and you're probably some nights throwing the papers against the wall and saying no we're not there yet and the next night you're saying what was that uh we need a all we need is one defenseman or one centerman so not a lot of trades yet you know we we saw the one with Toffoli that went to calgary we were out there when that happened uh but since then a lot of a lot of a lot of teams holding their, their cards in tight. And of course, Tampa, they're sitting in the weeds with, uh, you know, some cap issues, but guys still on long-term IR waiting maybe till the last day to add an important piece for a, a three-peat, which would be, wow, that would be amazing. They still have the best goalie. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. They still have the best goalie. And you brought up goalies. Toronto, before they came in here, all of a sudden, questions, Jack Campbell, Peter Mrazek, he's been, you know, I know he won the other night, but he has, he struggled all year. So um, I'm, I'm interested. I had, I'd been saying that I'm afraid that Jonas Corposalo has lost his value this year because of the fact he hasn't played very much. Uh, when he has played, the numbers don't look good. However, he does have a playoff history. And now as you look around the league with goalies, that value, maybe it goes up in the next two weeks because somebody feels like they have to do something at that position. Well, I, you know, uh, he'd be a great insurance goalie. You know what I mean? He'd be a guy that could come in and, and, and help a number one like Shea Sturkin. You know what I mean? That that's the way I look at him. Uh, and I also think the only place for Mark Andre Fleury is Toronto right now. If I'm Toronto, I'm hunting him down for that playoff experience. You know, Jack Campbell's a great guy. His teammates love him, but the pressure in that market and watching his interviews right now struggle with his lack of confidence you, you go to game five of a playoff series and you think, uh-oh, you know, you don't have time to figure it out. You need the guy that can come in after Campbell gets pulled and like Flurry did uh, a few years ago when Murray gets pulled and you're thinking with the Blue Jackets, you're thinking, oh, here, you know, Flurry's in the lineup. Whoa, here we go. And no, no, no. Not only beats the Blue Jackets, goes and wins the Stanley Cup. So that was 2016, I think. So 
you know, those are the players that you need right now. And there's not many of them. And you look at all the goals being scored, Bob, it's, it's crazy. And I think it's like 107 goalies have started this year in the national hockey league to this point. It's right around that number. That's a big number. There's, there's 32 teams. So injuries, uh, goalies uh, trying to find their way, you know, it's such an important position. Uh, so yeah, I think the blue jackets are sitting pretty good with, the four we have here, the Barube, and what he did uh, just a few weeks ago was incredible. So those are all great stories. But, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see the goalie market here and if things move quick uh, as we get into it next. It's not next to Monday. It's the Monday after. If I'm the Colorado Avalanche, I'm bidding against the Toronto Maple Leafs for Flurry. I am too. But, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I look at Toronto, and, and that's a team that's got to get out of the first round. So what I'm saying is, yes, I know Colorado, their goaltending isn't, off the charts, but I still think, you know, they've got enough pieces where they can probably defend pretty good, you know, with, with the forwards they have in the defense. When I look at Toronto, um, you know, the way they defend, they need some confidence from their goaltender. And I think, I think you get a guy like Fleury that that's who I go after right away. If I'm Toronto. Yeah. That's a great point. And oh, by the way, those games will still be two to one, three to two when the playoffs come around. I don't care how many goals are being scored right now. (laughs) I hope not. I hope we see a couple of classic 1980 8-6 victories, uh, uh, you know, in game one. <laughs> well, we'll see when we get there. That's going to wrap up tonight's edition of the Inside Edge. Once again, we want to thank Justin Danforth for being our guest tonight. The Blue Jackets playing against the New York Islanders tomorrow night in their brand-new building, the USB Arena. No, wait. UBS Arena. I knew I was going to do it because USB is the plug you put into the computer for crying out loud. <laughs> UBS. You're, yeah, you're thinking about your phone is dying, so you need you need your USB. <sighs> you know what? Sometimes I'm so happy they put the name of the building at center ice. I really am. It just makes things yeah, easier. <laughs> because you're like, where am I? Yeah, oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that's right. Many times, where and am they've I? they've changed the name. They've changed the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then you think you're somewhere and it's not that place anymore. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the UBS Arena tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Blue Jackets and the New York Islanders. Pre-game coverage at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets Radio Network and on Bally Sports Ohio. That's going to do it for this edition of the Inside Edge. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long, and thanks for listening to 97.1 The Fan.